And now, Acting Out. Acting Out is the segment of our show when we look at the book of Acts in the Bible and find lessons from the early church. In this brief segment, we ask ourselves, if the first century church turned the world upside down then, what could the church today do equally well in the 21st century? From Acts chapter 9, even the worst person can be saved. Saul was a terrible, evil person. What kind of person would drag a family from their home in the middle of the night and lock them up in prison just because they followed Jesus? What kind of person would oversee their execution? What kind of person would condone the public stoning of an innocent man? Here, you want to throw rocks at that man and kill him? Let me hold your coat. What kind of evil man is not content just cleaning up those pesky Christians in his own town, but insists on traveling to the next state to drag the Christians there to prison? Saul's whole ambition was to destroy the Christian faith in its infancy. It was a mission he applied himself to with great zeal. Every Christian in the known world knew of his reputation and feared him. Saul, later Paul, wasn't kidding when he referred to himself as the foremost of sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. You know the scriptures don't mention this, but I would be willing to bet that some Christian in Jerusalem Perhaps someone languishing in prison, or maybe somebody in Damascus waiting for their door to be smashed in before being arrested. I'll bet that somebody was praying for Saul. Not just that God would protect his family from Saul's persecution, but that God would change Saul. I'll bet somebody was praying that Saul would stop this destruction and instead start to follow Jesus. I'll bet somebody was praying for Saul's salvation. I think I would win that bet. In heaven, I'm going to find that someone who prayed for Saul's conversion, and I'm going to shake that person's hand. Well, Saul did find the Lord on the way to Damascus. Or should I say, the Lord found Saul. In any case, once the two met, Saul was forever a follower of the one whom he persecuted. Saul, who changed his name to Paul, became the most influential apostle that ever lived. He went from being the foremost sinner to being the greatest theologian and missionary ever. That's how God works. Even the worst person can find Jesus. God's grace is limitless. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Who's the most terrible, evil, destructive person you can think of? Pray for that person. If God can save Saul, he can save anyone. Anyone. And not only can God save anyone, he can also make that person a powerful influencer for Jesus just like Paul. Let's pray for our enemies as we turn the world upside down. Barnabas, the Encourager, from Acts chapter 9. After Saul's change of heart and radical change of attitude and vocation, he traveled from Damascus to Jerusalem. For an account of this, see Galatians chapters 1 and 2. In Jerusalem, Saul once again sought out the followers of Jesus, but this time, he didn't want to arrest them. He wanted to join them. He wanted to fellowship with them, learn from them, share life with them, as we are meant to do as believers. Saul was trying to integrate into the fellowship of believers. Imagine the baggage Saul carried with him. Imagine the church's reaction. You arrested my husband. You arrested my mom. And you want to worship in my church? You want to eat at the same table as me? No wonder they didn't trust him. Saul understood the strength of this fellowship and communion. He wanted it. He needed it. 
It was going to be tough to fellowship with a congregation whom just a short time ago he was hunting down, but he was trying. Enter Barnabas, the son of encouragement, a true friend, a peacemaker, a champion of underdogs. He was Saul's mentor. He knew that Saul's conversion was from God. It was the real deal. Saul was legit. He deserved to fellowship with a solid group of fellow Christians. He deserved to meet the leaders of the church, the apostles. He had much to learn, and he had much to offer. Barnabas clearly saw all of this. He also knew how awkward Saul's integration into the church in Jerusalem was going to be. The church couldn't trust Saul on his own word, but Barnabas' trust in Saul eased the church's mind and allowed them to welcome Saul. So Barnabas became Saul's sponsor, his patron, his escort, his voucher. Who knows? If it hadn't been for Barnabas' actions, we may never have heard of Saul, who became Paul, the greatest apostle. Every church is full of former sinners just like Saul, transformed villains, regenerated garbage, flawed people that Jesus redeemed and made into something new, something much better, saints. I hope every church has at least one person like Barnabas, a person who encourages others and looks for the good in people when everyone else sees the worst. Look after those people. They are gems among us. Let us encourage them as they encourage others. And with their help, let's turn the world upside down. Peace or Persecution From Acts 9, verse 31 Then the church throughout Judea Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Are Christians in the West living in a time of peace or persecution? Well, that depends on your perspective. Some would say that we are being relentlessly persecuted, picked on, and harassed. Some Christians are losing their jobs because of their faith in Christ. Some are being mocked and ridiculed. Some are facing extensive court battles because they stood up for their faith. And the opposition to Christianity in the West seems to be getting worse over the years. All of this is bad. But it is much worse in other parts of the world where Christians are not just being mocked or harassed. They are actually being imprisoned, tortured, and even killed for their faith. So, relatively speaking, we have it pretty good in the West. And especially in America. We are enjoying a certain level of peace as Christians in our culture and have been for many decades, if not centuries. We are certainly not at the level of persecution that the church in Jerusalem and the surrounding area experienced in the book of Acts. In the time we are reading about, followers of Christ were being arrested, imprisoned, and sometimes executed because of their faith. After Saul's conversion to Christianity, the persecution died down for a bit. The church could breathe a sigh of relief and get on with the business of being God's people. And that's what they did. They experienced growth. Growth in numbers, which is always good, but also growth in strength. Their faith deepened as they grew spiritually. Numerical growth and spiritual growth must go hand in hand. The cool thing about the book of Acts is that it describes the early church, which grew numerically and spiritually, no matter what the circumstances. When they were persecuted, they scattered, but they continued to multiply. When they experienced peace, they continued to grow and get strong. No matter their circumstances, the early church managed to prosper. Why? Because the growth of the church didn't depend on its external circumstances. The church's growth was always dependent on God. They grew because they were devoted to God. They were in awe of God. They were in love with their Savior. 
They obeyed his commands. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And God was with them. The Spirit of God encouraged them and gave them power. This is how the people of God grow in peacetime and when persecuted. And this is how we can grow now. Nothing has changed for the church. We will experience persecution and we will experience peace. In either case, we can and should grow. Let us be grateful for the relative peace we are experiencing now, but let's not get complacent. We will only grow if we fear God and follow the Spirit. In this time of peace, let us prepare to turn the world upside down. God arranges an unlikely meetup from Acts 10 and 11. Cornelius was a Roman soldier living in Judea along the Mediterranean coast. He was different from most Romans in Judea. He loved the one true God. He was a godly man. He did great things for the local people, but he didn't know Jesus. One afternoon, Commander Cornelius had a vision from an angel of God. The angel told him, You've got God's attention, and he knows what you're looking for. There's a guy down the coast who has the answer, and here is his address. Meanwhile, just down the coast, Peter also had a visit from God. During his noon prayer, he received a bewildering and disturbing vision from God. In the vision, he was shown that the strict dietary laws that had been in place for thousands of years for the Jews were now null and void. Everything was now on the table, so to speak. God had just declared any and all food clean and suitable for consumption without worry of being declared ritually unclean. But before Peter had time to process the meaning of this vision, the emissaries from Commander Cornelius knocked on his door. Come with us, they asked. There's someone who wants to meet you. By the way, he's a Roman army officer. Peter realized that this meeting was a divine appointment. He went to see Cornelius. When he arrived at Cornelius' home, Peter was faced with a dilemma. Do I set foot in his house? The house of a Gentile? The Jewish law forbade such a thing. Do I break the ancient rules and thus contaminate myself? But wait, that vision I had the other day, it wasn't just about eating non-kosher food. God was telling me that there is no such thing as unclean. And it's not just about food. God clearly meant people also. God sent me here. I must go inside. Once inside, the two men, Peter and Cornelius, made their awkward introductions. They recounted how each of them came to be there that day because of their own separate visions from God. Peter explained to Cornelius the good news of who Jesus was and what he did for all men. Cornelius immediately became a follower of Christ, and the Holy Spirit filled his entire household. Then Peter had an epiphany, a breakthrough, a radical realization, a realization of a principle that had always been true. A principle is this, the gospel is for all people, not just for the Jews, everyone. All are equal before God. All are in need of Jesus, none more than others, and none less. One doesn't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. One doesn't have to become anything first before following Jesus. This sounds simple, but it was a radical change of thought for both Peter and for Cornelius. It was a significant change for all of Christianity. A huge barrier that had been perceived by both groups had now been torn down, even though there really never was such a barrier. Peter thought he was more righteous than Cornelius and his kind because of his own Jewish heritage. Cornelius thought he had God's approval because of his good works. Both stood in that room in need of the same Savior. Both found salvation in the same way, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Either could now call the other a brother in Christ, despite the racial, social, and political differences between them. 
the cross, transcends any difference. We sometimes think and act like Peter did before his encounter with Cornelius. We assume that a person has to get to a certain level of good behavior in order for Jesus to accept them. Or we have in mind that certain people could never become Christians because of who they are or what they do. Like Peter, we would hesitate to set foot in their houses because, well, that would contaminate us. Church, I hope we can see what Peter and the apostles saw back then. They saw the dismantling of the wall between race, culture, class, and condition. A wall of their own making, by the way. Jesus is for all people. No one is beyond his reach. And we have no right to hold him back from anyone. Anyone. Let us all reach out to someone different from ourselves as we turn the world upside down. The Church Being the Church From Acts Chapter 11 Right now, I urge you, listener, to pause this podcast and go read Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. And after you've done that, come back and resume playing this podcast. I'll be right here. Okay, first of all, I like how uh, Luke, the author of Acts, squeezes in these short interludes of intense narrative between the larger stories. Yet there's so much to see and learn in these interludes. The last part of Acts 11 has so much activity in it, and there are so many principles here, we could easily miss them as we breeze through our reading on the way to the bigger story. But let's look what's going on in these verses. The church is on the move, God's hand is on the church, and the church is going places. So earlier, we talked about how the persecution of the church before Paul's conversion sent many in the church fleeing from Judea. But this was from God because the believers migrated to Cyprus, to Phoenicia, and to Antioch. And in this migration, they spread the good news of Jesus to the people there. The Judean believers concentrated on converting fellow Jews. However, many of their converts saw the need to reach the non-Jews in the area. Those new converts sent missionaries to Antioch to reach the Greek people. They were successful in reaching many Greeks, and a large church began to grow there, apparently consisting of both Greeks and Jews. So already we see two principles at work here. One, even though the church was scattered because of persecution, the people still acted like the church. Even though they were refugees, they preached to the people they were surrounded by, and the church grew. Principle two, those new converts saw the need to think outside the, quote, Jewish box. They voluntarily reached out to a different culture in a different location to preach the gospel and start churches in a cross-cultural environment. But we're not finished. There's a lot more going on. The church in Jerusalem, the mother church, the headquarters, so to speak, heard of this breakthrough, and they sent Barnabas the Encourager to investigate. Is this new church in Antioch legitimate? Is it on the right path? Barnabas went there, he looked around, and he gave it the apostolic seal of approval. After all, this movement had God's hand all over it. But Barnabas had an idea. This church could use some good leadership and teaching as it grows. Barnabas said, I'm willing to do what I can, but I need some help. I'll just go fetch my friend Paul over in Tarsus, and maybe he can help me. And that's what he did. Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch for a year, teaching and discipling and encouraging the growing church. Antioch was to become a major influence in the area and the base from which Paul and Barnabas operated in their own missionary endeavors. Antioch is where these Greek and Jewish believers took on the name Christian, which simply means follower of Christ. 
I got a few more principles we can pick up from these verses. Principle 3. The established church was willing to encourage and disciple the younger church. We can't assume a new church is going to stay on the right path without strong accountability, teaching, and modeling of biblical principles. This is what Paul and Barnabas did for more than a year. And this is what we all need to do. The older, wiser, more experienced believer needs to mentor and train the younger believer. Principle 4. Generous giving is a huge part of discipleship. Even though the Antioch church was young, they were more than willing to make a sacrificial donation to the believers less fortunate than themselves. Paul and Barnabas not only taught the Antioch church to do this, but they modeled the behavior by carrying the donation all the way to Jerusalem themselves. In this short passage, we saw the church being the church. We saw an outward-focused church always looking to push the boundaries of comfort. We see constant movement, constant expansion. Not just addition, but multiplication. And not just numerical growth, but spiritual growth as well. This was the kind of growth that makes robust disciples of Jesus. The kind of disciples that make more disciples who make more disciples. Antioch was the kind of church that could, and did, turn the world upside down. <laughs>